Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 28. And uh, I want us to look this morning at post-resurrection instructions from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. And I'll have more uh, to say a little bit uh, later in the introduction about changing up this morning a little bit. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, post-resurrection instructions? instructions. We know this, of course, as what? The Great Commission. Exactly. Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for these very clear instructions that you have given to your church. To your disciples. Lord, we are to reflect upon what our lives are to be about. But not just reflect, but be transformed. Lord, we look about us and we see what the average man or the woman on the streets, what they are living for. And it is not what we are to be living for. Sadly, we look in many places at the church what they are doing and not doing. And we learn the way that we are not to be walking. Lord, I pray that we would be your people on mission with you until you come for your bride. May we be found faithful. I think of that parable In the Olivet Discourse where Jesus said, Blessed will be the one who is about his father's business and giving food to his servants when the master comes. God, may we be found faithful. I pray that each and every one of us, in different ways of course, but each and every one of us would be wrapped up in the great commission in the manner in which You have called us. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This past Friday night, some of us were here in the core from 6.30 p.m. until about 12.30 a.m. for Secret Church. We missed most of you. Dr. David Platt was teaching on the authority of Scripture in an age of skepticism and the focal country that we prayed for throughout the night during the breaks was the country of Iran. Believe it or not, the underground church in Iran is growing by leaps and bounds, sometimes in the face of very harsh 
persecution. Believers are being oppressed. They're being imprisoned. Some of them are being beaten. And some of them are even losing their lives for the sake of the gospel. But the church there is growing. A few, a few years back, the result of a study of 19 Christian organizations was published. Our own International Mission Board was a part of this study. They found that only 20% of the world had been evangelized. By evangelized, they did not mean that 20% were Christians. They meant that 20% had had the message of Christ presented to them in a culturally relevant way so that they could clearly understand and have the opportunity of either receiving or rejecting the message of Christ. They found that 26% of the world or 2,347 people groups are unevangelized, meaning that they had not had a culturally relevant uh, or clear proclamation of the gospel. They found that 24% or 4,161 people groups are unreached, meaning that there is no church movement at all sufficient enough to sustain any ongoing witness or growth. Finally, they found that 30% of the world can be classified in a group that they simply called the world. Making up over 2,100 people groups who virtually have no access whatsoever to the gospel. Now to translate that in numbers, Dr. Platt told us Friday night that 2.8 billion in the world have no access to the good news of Jesus Christ whatsoever. 2.8 billion. Folks, those numbers are staggering. We've got to remember the very last assignment that Jesus Christ gave to his church. It is so clear and that's what I want us to talk about this morning from Matthew 28. You know, I struggled all week with what to do with this morning because naturally speaking, we should just continue right on with our series in 1 Peter. We would have been picking up in 1 Peter chapter 4 this week and just continuing our march right on through that little epistle. But I had a feeling this week, a nagging feeling all week long, whether it was from the Lord or whether it was indigestion, I don't know. But it was this nagging feeling all week long that after Easter, I needed to remind the church of what Jesus Christ told his disciples right after his resurrection. Before his crucifixion, you remember what he kept telling his disciples? Before the crucifixion, he kept saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and when I get there, I'm going to be rejected by the religious authorities and they're going to put me on a cross, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die. He kept telling them that over and over again and some of them didn't like that, did they? In fact, Peter rebuked the Lord over those words. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan, because you're not minding the things of God. 
But over and over again before the crucifixion, Jesus kept saying, I'm going there and when I get there, I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to die. But then after the resurrection, what did he keep telling his disciples? He kept telling them over and over and over again, here is what you are to do. As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Those two sets of instructions before and after the crucifixion and the resurrection. Again before, I'm going to die. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And I'm going to be raised again to new life. After the resurrection, go into all the world and tell people this Good news. Over and over and over again, Jesus laid down those two basic sets of instructions. The last two weeks, we looked at the first set of instructions. Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, the crucifixion, the resurrection. So again, this Sunday, I want us to look at that second set of instructions. Folks, what's the church's main business? What are we here for? Any organization or institution or business justifies its existence only insofar as it carries out the purpose for which it was founded. What if this afternoon you went down to Food Line down on the corner and you were looking for milk and bread and you couldn't find any milk and bread and you went in there and asked for uh, the manager and the manager said, Oh, we don't carry food anymore, but I can show you a pair of shoes or a nice new shirt or suit. Would you like to see that? You'd say, but your sign out front says, food lion. So any organization or institution justifies its existence only as long as it accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended and created. That's true of the church of the Lord Jesus as well. Why are we here? Of course, we could talk about worship. God is worthy of our worship. The church is a body of believers gathered together to give God the praise that is due His name. He is worthy of our worship. And we are commanded to worship not only privately but corporately. That's what the church is to be about. And so if a Christian is not an active participant in a local body of believers, he or she is living in sin. We're to be a group of the redeemed who display what it is for God to dwell in our lives and in our midst. But what is our mission? If there's a heaven and if there's a hell and if Jesus died on the cross to make it possible for people to go to heaven and not to go to hell, then the most important mission of the church is to let people know the good news of the gospel that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. James Montgomery Boyce says, I'm sure you've noticed in your study of the New Testament that nearly all the resurrection appearances of Jesus end with Jesus telling those present to announce the good news. 
The New Testament indicates that there were at least 10 appearances of the risen Lord plus another some years later to the Apostle Paul. In eight of these appearances, uh, Christ gives an explicit commission. And in five, he commands his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Boyce goes on to write, Matthew does not end his gospel with the resurrection itself. Even more striking, he does not include an account of Christ's ascension. Instead, he ends the gospel with the Lord's great commission. Apparently, it was evident to him, as it should be also to us, that the life and death of Christ should affect our speech and conduct. He goes on to say, these words are for all of Jesus' disciples, of course, not only for the apostles. They are for you if you've turned from your sin to trust Christ. Christ alone for your salvation and have become his disciple if you have then you are to work with other Christians to lead people to faith through the preaching and teaching of the gospel Jesus said you are my friends if you do what I command as boy says if we do not obey Jesus Christ then we're not his friends but he's even more blunt than that He goes on to say, worse than that, we're not even Christians. Folks, I want us to see our mission, the motivation and power behind it, and the assurance that we have as we carry it out. And so first of all this morning, let's look at his power. Notice what he says, first of all, in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus begins with his authority. It is no weak authority. He is the risen Lord and all authority in both heaven and earth has been given to him. As Dr. D.A. Carson reminds us, these verses here are all tied together by that little three-letter word, all. All authority, all nations, teaching them all things, all the days. First of all is all authority. His authority is superior to and over all other authorities, whether spiritual, demonic, or earthly. During his earthly ministry, Jesus demonstrated his authority over disease and over sickness, over demons, over nature, over sin, and Jesus even demonstrated his authority over death itself. In John 5, Jesus points out how he has the authority to bring all men before the tribunal of God, before the judgment seat of God, and either condemn them to eternal death or bring them to eternal life. He said, I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to take back up my life again. He has the sovereign authority to rule over heaven and earth and to subjugate Satan and his demons to eternal torment in the lake of fire. Even the the prophet Daniel foresaw sovereign authority being given to Christ. 
In his night vision, Daniel writes, I saw one like a son of man coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will never pass away and his kingdom is one which shall never be destroyed. His authority. His authority obviously extends over us. And folks, he even has authority over those who are not yet believers. I want you to think of that. His authority extends to to the people to whom he sends us with the gospel. No one, absolutely no one is outside of the scope of his authority. Now, this is a statement that should give us great hope and assurance as we're involved in his work. Because it's saying to us that Jesus has the power, Jesus has the ability, Jesus has the authority to bring fruit from our efforts. For it is through the exercise of his authority that men and women actually come to believe upon him. Folks, we are being guaranteed here. We're being promised here that the Great Commission will indeed produce fruit. Jesus Christ has his elect, he has his chosen, he has his remnant, whatever you want to call them. The Bible uses all of those words and we are told that through the preaching of the gospel, the chosen will come to life. In Acts 13, 48, the Bible says, And those who had been appointed to eternal life believed. It's not that they believed and because they believed they were appointed. They were appointed because they had been sovereignly appointed by a sovereign God. Then they came to believe as a result of that. Now some people object to ideas of election or chosen. Even though it's in your New Testament. But let me remind you. No one who wants to be saved will be turned away. No one. Jesus in a vision told the Apostle Paul before the gospel had even gone into Corinth. You remember the Apostle Paul was being opposed. And and he was struggling with whether to go into Corinth or not. The gospel had not even gone into Corinth yet. There were no believers in Corinth. And God told the Apostle Paul, I want you to go there because I have many chosen people in that city. And they will believe what I'm trying to point out to you is the fact that the great commission assures us that we will be successful because all power and all authority belongs to him the one who has all authority has told us to go And we have the assurance that our efforts will indeed produce fruit. We won't reach everyone, but we will reach some. 
John R.W. Stott says the fundamental basis of all Christian missionary enterprise is the universal authority of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. If the authority of Jesus were circumscribed on earth, if he were but one of many religious teachers, one of many Jewish prophets, one of many divine incarnations, we would have no mandate to present him to the nations as the Lord and Savior of the world. If the authority of Jesus were limited in heaven... If he had not decisively overthrown the principalities and powers, we might still proclaim him to the nations, but we would never be able to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Only because all authority on earth belongs to Christ, dare we go to the nations, and only because all authority in heaven as well is his, have we any hope of success. And so before giving his commission, Jesus first established his absolute pervasive authority because otherwise the command might have seemed either hopelessly impossible for us to fulfill or we might just be tempted to ignore it altogether. Folks, these words in verse 18 were meant to be a great encouragement. Some of you might think, I could never do this. I could never be involved in the Great Commission. But just remember, Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus never asked us to do something without supplying what is needed. When he gave these words, it was geographically and physically impossible to carry them out compared to today. And yet, they did it anyway. It was numerically impossible. Some scholars believe that Jesus might have been talking to as many as 500 people here in addition to the, to the little band of disciples. 500 people in Acts chapter 1 we read of just 120 up in the upper room that he started with. That's all. And yet they got it done. It was financially impossible. It was legally impossible. It was against the law at that time to speak or preach or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. It was socially impossible. Christians were considered the rejects of society. And yet they got it done. They took the gospel to their, their particular ends of the earth in their day. How could they do something like that? Because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Secondly, I want you to see his plan. His plan. In verse 19 he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus now says, Go into all the nations. This is the second all. First of all, again, remember, there was the all authority. Now it's all nations. Going to all nations. Write down Luke 19.10. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said he had come to seek and to save those who are lost. That was his plan. 
Remember Luke chapter 15, the parables about something that's lost. And in one of those parables, there was the lost sheep and the, the shepherd got 99 safely into the fold, counted 99, found one that was not there and left the 99 in charge of others and went looking for that one that was lost and rejoiced when he found that one. Jesus wants us going to that one. He wants us to, to go to all nations. John MacArthur says, if you were to survey congregations today to find out what people really want to put first, some would say fellowship. We just want to fellowship with other believers. And their key verse would be, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And MacArthur writes, that's certainly true. Others would say teaching, we've gathered to learn. And they would quote Ephesians 4 about how God has given pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Again, true. Others would say worship and praise. They would quote all the verses in the Bible about God's people singing and praising. Again, true. But as MacArthur writes, the mission that flows out of our loving fellowship, our spiritual growth, and our praise is that of being God's faithful and obedient instruments in His divine plan to redeem the world. Paul rejoiced that God's grace is spreading to more and more people, causing the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Every time an unbeliever is saved by God's grace, God is glorified and another voice is added to that hallelujah chorus. How tragic that so much of the church is occupied with trivialities. And we ignore the last charge that Jesus gave to his church before he left them. Matthew's gospel is the most Jewish of all the gospels. Luke, Luke's gospel has more of a Gentile target audience. And yet it is Matthew who faithfully records Jesus saying, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations. In 1929, when the Soviet government wanted to wipe out the church, do you know what they did? I can tell you, first of all, what they did not do. They did not pass a law to shut down all churches. They did not pass a law to prohibit worship services. Rather, what they did was they made it the law of the land that no church could carry the message of the gospel outside of its own four walls. Somebody said what the Soviet communists did by legal decree in 1929, we are tragically doing today by default. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples is the main thought here. Make disciples is the only imperative in this passage. Going baptizing, teaching are all participles. 
The verb that's a command, because it's an imperative, is make disciples. And so there are some people who say that what is being said here is as you go, make disciples. In other words, by nature, we are a going people. People don't have to be told to go. They're just going by nature of living their lives. They're going to work. They're going to school. They're going to the store. They're going on vacation. We are a going people. And so as you are going about in your daily life, wherever you're going and whatever you're doing, in the midst of all that, you are to make disciples. That's certainly true. But again, as Dr. D.A. Carson reminds us in his commentary on the book of Matthew, he writes that when a circumstantial, now put on your thinking caps here for a moment, okay? When a circumstantial participle like going comes before the main verb that is an imperative, that circumstantial participle also takes on the force of the imperative. And so as Carson says, it's not simply enough to say, as you go, make disciples. But it is also right and proper for us to put that imperatival force with the participle go as well. We are to go. We are to be intentional about going. Let me put some legs on this for you. Every year when we as a church sit down to work on our budget, we need to be very intentional in the fact that we are sending people out. The young people, you've heard this morning, just got back last night from New York. We are to be very careful, very intentional every single year that there are going dollars, there are sending dollars in the budget because if we ever leave that out of our budget and we are not sending people out to go, then I believe we are living in direct disobedience to the Lord. We're living in sin. We don't need to say, well, perhaps we should probably set aside a little bit just in case we send somebody somewhere. No, we are to make sure that we are sending people somewhere. The Bible says that God has his people out there and it is through the preaching of the gospel that they come to faith. And so God not only has his chosen, but he has the chosen way to reach them. We don't know who the chosen are and so we go to everybody and we preach the gospel. Because God has ordained the means to reach them. It is through the preaching of the gospel. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1. God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And so he not only has his chosen out there. But he has the chosen way of reaching them. And that, and that is that we go and we preach the good news to them. Because God knows who they are. And God will raise them up. I appreciate those in our church who come out every single Tuesday night to go out. This verse is saying that we're to be very deliberate, very intentional about doing that, about going out. 
Yes, it's true. As you go, make disciples. Nobody's disputing that. But also go. In other words, make sure you are going. As believers, we need to be asking ourselves, am I intentional about going? Am I intentional about the Great Commission? You see, I fear that some of us don't think these verses apply to us. And they do. As Dr. D. James Kennedy used to be famous for saying... If you're not being a fisher of men, then who are you following? Because Jesus told his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You follow me and here's what I'm going to do in your life. And so D. James Kennedy would ask the question, if you are not being a fisher of men, then who are you following? You're not following Jesus because Jesus said, when you follow me, here's what I'm going to do in your life. And so if you're not wrapped up in the Great Commission, then who are you following? Now we go in different ways. Some like Aaron and Mindy Brindle. David and Susan, they're in the late service I believe, right? David and Susan, are they in this service? Their son and daughter-in-law and grandkids are on a mission field in a very, very dangerous part of the world where we don't even announce where they are. That's one way of going. Some are faithful every day at work or school as you meet people, strike up conversations, and you use those conversations to share the good news. Some use special events or happenings to share the good news. Some of you use tragedies in people's lives or in your own life to share the good news. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, God comforts us in all of our afflictions that we might turn around and comfort those who are in that same kind of affliction. And so we go through a trial, God teaches us something, and then we're able to sit down and share with somebody else Uh, who's going through that same thing, and point them to Jesus that they might believe in him also. And some of you have done that. You've used tragedies in your marriages, in your home, in your work, in your health. Some of you have used things like that to talk to people about Jesus. That's good. You may never be a career missionary. But you can go and be a witness wherever you are. Dr. Mark Quartz used to pastor Calvary Baptist Church in Winston-Salem. I tell you what, in North Carolina Baptist life, we miss Dr. Quartz. He was probably, he was the statesman of all the pastors. And all the pastors in North Carolina, we really leaned on him a lot. He had a lady in his church one time call him and say, Pastor... I've got a new neighbor, and just from talking to her, I know that she's lost. And I want you to come and witness to her. And Dr. Court said, I'm not going to do that. She said, what? 
He said, no, she's your neighbor. You've established the relationship with her. What I am going to do as your pastor is based on Ephesians 4. I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to teach you how to share the gospel and share your faith in her. And then I'm going to turn you loose to reach her. All of us are to be engaged and involved. As you go and go, it's both. And some of us need to start taking that a little bit more seriously in our lives. Folks, it's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. Russell said something to me a number of years back. I thought, I got to think about it. I thought, you know what? He's, he's right. I'll throw him under the bus on this one. He said, Scott, you think about what we do in American Christianity. He said, we will load up buses and, and people will go to hear this singing event. And they'll go to hear this singing group, that singing group. They'll go to this preacher's conference and that preacher's conference and this evangelism clinic. And that we'll meet at the church at an appointed time. We'll all load up on the bus and we'll go and take off. And then we'll come back, hallelujah, happy from having gone to that event. And he said, but... Do those same people ever come out the next week and start doing what they've just gone to that conference to celebrate? He said, most of the time, no. He said, you know what those things become? Those things become our entertainment. They become our NASCAR they become our NFL. We get together and we go off to all of these hallelujah shouting conferences. We come back and we don't do anything with it. What a shame. What a shame. We need to go. Some of you will remember about 10 or 12 years ago, I asked all of the Sunday school class. I'd be curious to know who did this. I if you've continued to do it, I asked all of our classes to put out empty chairs in your classroom as a reminder to the class, who should we be reaching that should be in those chairs? Who as a class are we reaching out to that will one day occupy that chair right there? I wonder if our classes are doing that. And what's our goal? It's to make disciples. What is a disciple? A mature follower of Jesus Christ whose life bears fruit for the glory of God. And so very clearly we aren't just to make converts but we are to make disciples. Where does that begin? It begins with us going and telling. And when somebody responds, what do they do? They follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Jesus says here that also we are to baptize them. Now I mentioned a moment ago that D.A. Carson said when a participle precedes an imperative, it takes on the force of the imperative. He said when a participle comes after the imperative, like baptizing does, it does not not necessarily take on the force of the imperative. He said it's not that we're being commanded to baptize but at the same time he says baptism is a natural part of the discipleship process. You don't find any disciples in the New Testament who were not baptized. Baptism is a public identification with Christ and baptism itself is a powerful proclamation of the gospel the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And we're to be teaching them. And he says, teach them all that I've commanded you. I, lo- I love what James Montgomery Boyce says again about this. He said, we, 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 uh, we need to be churches that are systematically teaching and preaching through the whole counsel of God. He said, you know, it's like some church bodies today are trying to eliminate the whole counsel of God. They are concentrating instead on things that are easily comprehended and unobjectionable it is usually grace without judgment love without justice salvation without obedience and triumph without suffering listen to what he says about that he says the motivation of some of these reductionists may be good they want to win as many people to Christ as possible but the methods is the, uh, the but the method is the world's and the results will be the world's results Robust disciples are not made by watered down teaching. We teach them the whole counsel of God. We go and we witness. We win them to the Lord. We get them baptized. And then we instruct them in the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation so that they will be able to stand on their own two feet and so that they themselves will in turn be able to go out and win others. That's his plan. That's his plan. And then thirdly, what's his promise? In verse 20 he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, you remember the name that was to be given to Jesus. What was the name that Mary and Joseph were to give to Jesus? They would call him Jesus, but then the angel said, he shall be called what? You remember the name? Emmanuel. Good. And what did Emmanuel mean? God with us. With us in the incarnation, is he still with us today? You better believe it. He's still Emmanuel, still God with us. Jesus said, as long as you are about my business, I will be with you to the end of the age. Folks, that too is a promise that we have. The main problem with many churches and Christians today is not that they don't know their mission. They're just simply refusing to do it. Someone once wrote the following letter to the church, and I'll close with this. It illustrates the point. Dear Christians, I have been given all power and authority in heaven and earth. Go then to all people and make them my disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe, obey, and respect everything that I've commanded you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Shalom with all my love, Jesus. And this is the way the church board responded. Dear Jesus... Our Lord, we hereby acknowledge receipt of your memorandum. Your proposal is very interesting. 
and we feel we should probably undertake the project. Not immediately, of course, but as soon as we believe it to be feasible. Due to a shortage of personnel and finances, we feel it best to postpone it for a while, however, in our best interest. A committee, however, has been appointed to study your plan. In the meantime, we're honored to know that you have considered us for this task. And we appreciate your offer to serve as our resource officer should we choose to undertake this assignment. You may rest assured that this matter will be given our full consideration. And we hope to have an answer for you soon. Sincerely, your obedient servants. Isn't it a shame that that's more true to life than we would like to admit? Where's Jesus Christ calling you to get wrapped up in his great commission? Are you a believer? If you're a believer, you are called. You are commissioned. All the time, people say, Pastor, I want to know God's will. Can you help me discover God's will? Well, I can tell you this morning with all the authority of the Scripture, it is God's will that you and I personally, each one of us, get wrapped up in the Great Commission. It is His post-resurrection instructions to you and to me. And Father, we thank you for these words. Lord, give us strength. Open each heart, each mind, all sets of eyes and ears that we will be about your work. We are to be abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain thank you for your promise here that you will be with us and based on your authority our mission will indeed be met with success with trial and rejection and even persecution yes but with also success I think of Paul writing to Timothy. He said, Timothy, it is for the sake of the elect that I endure all things. For the sake of those who will believe, help us to endure all things and to go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.